hopefully we have priests listening who will realize that the Holy Name Society is like having an assistant in the parish because many priests are alone. They find themselves alone and some question their loneliness. Where is the help from our Lord? We're here to help them. This is WSFI Spotlight, a conversation with Catholics living in the light. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of WSFI Spotlight. I'm Angela Tomlinson. Today our guest is Stan Barron. Stan is the national president of the Holy Name Societies. He grew up here in the Chicagoland area. He went to St. Anne's in Barrington Bishop Quarter, formerly in Oak Park. We had no church at St. Teresa in Palatine back then. I grew up in Palatine and uh, St. Teresa didn't have a school. So the closest Catholic school was in Barrington, and I had to take a bus. And they finally took me out of St. Anne's because in the wintertime, I'd be outside freezing, and I got buried a couple times by the <laughs> snowplow. My mother would be looking out the window at the corner. The snowplow would come by, and she'd have to go out and dig me out. I was in first, second grade. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you were on a bus. You were, you were taking and public transportation so they, to go to school. So they looked for a, uh, a boarding school for me. And that's how I ended up at Bishop Quarter. Okay. So it was a little kinder that you didn't have to take the, the train and the bus or whatever wait to get, out to, get to school. Wait out in the cold. Wait out in the cold. And then from there, you went on to Campion Jesuit High School in Wisconsin. Jesuits. Yep. And then from there, you went to Regis, majored in English, a minor in philosophy and education. And finally, when you, you were at Chicago Kenton, what happened? Something that would change your life forever happened. What was that? It was something called Vietnam. I remember Vietnam. A lot of people, uh, like myself, uh, there were deferments for people going to school at the time. But uh, President Johnson ended up uh, canceling deferments for graduate school. And I ended up getting a lottery number that was number six because of my birthday, and naturally, I got drafted. Mm. How did you feel about that? Um, not that good, except for the fact that I counted my blessings, because at the draft, we were lined up and counted out numbers one, two, and three, and the Marines came in and announced that they could also draft people and asked all the number ones, which I was, to take one step forward, and I thought I was a Marine. Shortly after we stood, we all our number one stepped forward. They congratulated all the number twos and threes on becoming Marines. Oh my goodness! What was the logic behind that, Stan? <laughs> I just I figured it's again time to thank the Lord. <laughs> yeah. So, how long were you in Vietnam? Um, I served statewide first for a while because um, they learned that I had a legal background. And there was, on at Fort Leonard Wood, there was uh, a special processing company which dealed with discipline. The CEO kind of drafted me for a while and had me serve stateside. I ended up having to go eventually to Vietnam because he could no longer hide me, so to speak. Yeah. And orders came for Vietnam, and I got to Vietnam. Interestingly, I got there, and all the guys who were in my platoon in basic we're leaving because I spent that much time stateside. Mm -hmm. But uh, and what'd you learn there? 
uh, I learned that uh, life is cheap. Uh, you know, we, we look at, at Catholics to the sanctity of life, you know, talking about uh, abortion and uh, end-of-life situations. Being in Vietnam and being involved in a situation where life could be lost in an instant and uh, at times you found yourself being an instrument of evil, so to speak. And life to me became more a situation of what really counted. What really counts? What really counts is not what's legal and illegal, but what's right and wrong. And, and if we live by that, changes the course for you sometimes and it did for me I did not go back to law school I never finished law school uh, I ended up working with my father for a while and found myself working for the post office because of a bet I won with my mailman <laughs> he told me I couldn't get the job in in the post office because I probably wasn't qualified so I, I just decided that uh, he made a $200 bet with me that I couldn't get it and I said well okay okay let's see what that happens. That was when $200 were $200. This, this is back in the 70s right? Yes. Early 70s at that and I said you know I'm going to take the test. I told my father I'm going to take a test so I took the test and I uh Scored 98, and then I got extra points for Vietnam, and what happened to Vietnam, they gave me an extra 10 points, so my score was 108. Mm. And uh, I got called to get what they called at that time a part-time job, and I turned it down. And they immediately called me back and explained that, listen, you either have to turn down the job or take the job because nobody in Northern Illinois can hire any help at all because you're number one on the register because of what you scored in your extra bonus points. So I decided that I would try it. And um, our family business was, was having difficulty fighting the imports and uh, the stuff coming in from, from Asia, the cheap stuff. And we were having trouble you know, competing with that. So I told myself, I'm just gonna do it on a, on, on, a, on a whim. So I took the test, I got called, and I was in the process of the 90-day period. And mailman came by one day and said, how'd you do on that test? And I showed him my postcard. And he said, and I said, before I showed him mine, I said, what did you score? He said, I did good. I scored a 78. Uh-oh. And uh, I pulled my card out. And uh, he was very angry. came back and said, that doesn't mean a thing. I said, you couldn't get my job, not qualify for it. So I ended up taking the job. Did you take the $200? Well, here's the rest of the story. I waited till I actually got the uniform. And that's after your 90 days. And I went to where my dad's business was. I waited for him to get ready to drop the mail, and I opened the door, and there I was in my uniform. And I said, give me my $200. <laughs> oh, he was so angry, he slammed the door and knocked it off the hinges. But it came back a couple hours later with uh, 200 you know. And you took it? 10 brand new 20s, I sure did. <laughs> That must, that must have been before you were in the Holy Name Societies. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. I have to be honest. I had fallen away from the faith for a part of my, my life in the middle there. When did that happen? I, I think, you know, when, when you leave a Catholic high school, even you're a Catholic in, in, in college, even though you went to Mass every day, the temptations start to come. Yeah. You know, uh, the devil's everywhere. And I found myself not really going to church on a regular basis after graduation. And certainly Vietnam, I probably prayed more than any time I'd been. You know, the sacraments weren't there because they weren't always there in Vietnam. I probably didn't get back to our faith 
after I got married, got married in the church, it started meeting a little bit more to me then. My uncle was a priest at the time, married myself and my lovely wife, Linda. Was he, a, what, what, was he in a religious order or was he, he part he of the He was a, a, a parish priest here in Chicago. Parish priest, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, he, he was well known around because he was the shortest priest in the parish. <laughs> wherever, wherever he did mass, they had to build an extra step for <laughs> Like the Fulton Sheen. And oh. fa- Father Casimir Kozian, he was Casey Kozian, is what he was referred to as. But getting back to my own problems, I got married, and I think it's when I had children. Mm-hmm. My wife looked at me and said, you know, we are going to be spending our, sending our kids to Catholic Church, and it does no good if you're not part of their lives as a Catholic, as a practicing Catholic. And I did. I started going to the church on a regular basis. Then what happened, though? So you're not just the normal, I go into church on a Sunday and then I leave. You, that's really become, the faith has become a, such a part of your life. What, was there anything that you can point to that triggered that? Or is it something that just came over I, time? I, I, was a, I don't know if you have time for this. I, I don't know how long this is going to go, but I, I have to tell you about uh, probably the most important event of my whole life. I have a tendency because it moves me so much when I speak about it. I'm going to keep a Kleenex handy. We went on a vacation to Disney World when my children, my both my daughters were, uh, I think, about seven and five or four, four. And um, we had checked into a very nice hotel, but my wife, of course, didn't like the first floor, so they moved us up. Too many bugs in Florida on the first floor. So we moved up, but when we moved up, they didn't actually change the reservation that we had moved up to, to another floor. They just showed us checked out of our first floor room. And while we were there, my father had a very serious accident. Uh, he had fallen off the roof trying to clean the gutters, as many will. And uh, it was a very old wooden ladder. And, of course, the, the ladder broke and he fell, oh. hit his head, oh. lost a lot of blood. And this was, again, in rural Palatine, away from Northwest Community Hospital. It took time for the, the fire department to come and finally get him to the hospital. And uh, his outlook was not good. And my family tried to contact us in Florida, and we told them where we were. But they kept calling the switchboard at the hotel, and they showed us checked out of our room. But they didn't show us checked back into our second room. Right. And um, they had the sheriff in Orlando and the police looking all over for us. They were announcing us at all the rides at Disney when we were at SeaWorld. And when we were not at SeaWorld or Disney, we were at, you know, the 20th set. What is that other one down there? Universal Studios. And uh, they kept missing us. And finally, like on the fourth day, we, I was walking by the front desk, and I said, you know, are there any messages, anything for us? You know, I'm Stan Perry. She said, you are who? I said, I'm, I'm Stan Perry. She said, well, everybody's been looking for you. Wow. We've been, we thought you checked out. I said, no, I just changed rooms. Wow. So I told my wife, listen, I'm, I'm going to quick go back, and we'll, somehow we'll get you and the kids back. I got in a car, I started backing out of my parking place at the hotel, and somebody broadsided my rental car. 
I mean, they were speeding in the parking lot. I didn't see them. You know, big screech marks where they were trying to stop, and they broadsided my rental car. The police came, and uh, he says, can I have your license? I took. He looked, and he says, I've been looking for you. Everybody's been looking for you. And I said, but, uh, you know, I, I can't go. I got this accident. Don't worry about the accident. It shows what happened here. Never mind. Get in my car. He called somebody else to come and take care of the accident. And Isn't that something? Issue the guy the ticket. And he said, come with me. So I'm in the squad car. He's taking me to the airport. Disney in the summertime kind of overloads Orlando. And this is back like, oh, what was this, 70, no, 80-something, 80, 80 early 80s. And um, I finally get to the airport uh, talked very nice to the police officer get me there and I'm, the sirens going all the way to get to the airport I get there and I say I'd like a ticket to get to Chicago I have a family emergency and they said well we'll do the best we can but there's really it's really busy it's difficult to get in or out of here today everything is booked we'll try and get you a seat so they called me up and said uh, we have a seat for you and I thought, oh, thank goodness. And then they called me back and said, no, we don't have a seat for you because that plane is grounded. It needs a new part for the engine before it can get out of here. At that point, I was probably the lowest I've ever been. I went to a far corner of the airport. I hid behind the old lo lo lockers where you used to store your, your luggage. There's an area probably about three feet behind there. I got down there. And I prayed like I'd never prayed before in my life. I just told, told Jesus, I said, you know, I am lost. I can't do this by myself. I need you. I, I got to have you with me. There's nothing. I, I can't do this by myself, Lord. Please help me. Please help me. And I, in tears, I was bawling. Somebody said, is there something wrong? I said, yeah, never mind. I, I just, I had lost it. I was broken. And they called my name again. And they said, you know, the plane that's grounded needs a part from Miami. So they are, the story, it just can't go on like this. They said, they're bringing a part for that plane from Milwaukee, from Miami. From Miami on a nonstop flight. They're just going to land here long enough to drop off the part. But what we're going to do is we're going to take you out there with the truck that's going to get the part with the ramp, and we're going to get you a seat on that plane while we're getting the part for the plane that's grounded. So I'm on this truck going out to the airport. The, the stairs are going up. The plane opens the door. I get in. They give me a seat in first class. I get to... Um, Midway, it was Midway Airline plane at that time that stopped. And uh, my brother-in-law to be met me there. And uh, he's giving me a ride back to Northwest Community Hospital. He says, Stan, it, it really looks bad. All they've been waiting for you is to pull the plug because nobody's got the guts to do it. And I said, well, thank you, you know. And, and I got there and I could remember the room was stark white almost blinding light white. 
clean sheets, nurses in white, you know, my sisters and parents, you know, handkerchiefs everywhere. And uh, I took my father's hand and I thanked our Lord for getting me there in time to say goodbye to him. I took his hand and they said, you know, we just have to unplug him. I took his hand and I gave it a little squeeze and it squeezed back. I said, he just squeezed my hand. He said, don't worry, it's just a reaction, just a reaction. And he squeezed tighter and tighter. And then he picked his arm and my arm with it. Wow. And he opened his eyes and he got able to mumble out, you know, what are you doing here? He's supposed to be on vacation. The nurse fainted. Oh, my. What a story my, this is. What my, are you my doing? You're supposed to be on vacation. Who was gone was back. And not only that, all these things that happened on the way to get me there. That's not normal. <laughs> that's when he started. So that's my miracle. And, and that was the day that I promised my Lord to him that I would be his servant. I would live for him the rest of my life. Do you remember the day of that? Oh, probably, you know, I could actually look that up. You huh? should look it up and find out, you know, even the calendar has so much significance. Probably mid eighties. Yeah, and the date, the, the, the calendar day, like January something uh, or whatever. It'd be interesting to look and see what day that our Lord worked that be. What a great story, Stan. What thank, a great thank story. Thank goodness you got the Kleenex here. <laughs> yeah, we always have Kleenex at WSFI. Um, so from there, you found your way to a men's group that was originally charted as the Holy Name Society, um, was in a hiatus for a while as to what its identity was, and eventually became part of the Holy Name Society. Yeah, there, there What was is the Holy Name Society, first of all? Um, well... It's an organization that started back in 1274 with our current, with our founder, Blessed John Vercelli. Um, he was um, in charge of the Dominican Order at that time, and um, he was tasked by uh, Pope Gregory the Great, um, the fifth, no, the tenth. I'm sorry, the tenth, to. Um, go through Europe and preach the sanctity of our Lord's name and uh, try to overcome what was happening with the uh, Albigensian uh, heresies. Uh, he, by the way, was a good friend of uh, Thomas Aquinas. Wow. Uh, he actually helped Thomas Aquinas when he was in trouble over some of the things he had written with, with the papacy. And uh, Blessed John of Vercelli at the time stood up for him. And we know what Thomas Aquinas is to our faith now. But um, Thomas Aquinas, according to some literature, was supposed to be in charge of the Holy Name Society. He was supposed to be tasked with what Blessed John Vercelli actually accomplished. And uh, when Thomas Aquinas was unable to fill that, uh, either because of sickness or his passing, the date I'm not certain of, but uh, Blessed John Vercelli was then tasked with this, this task of protecting the name of our Lord and Savior. And... Uh, papacy throughout the years um, there were both the blessed name of Jesus and the blessed name of, of God and they were both combined in the 1500s um, Didicus uh, I'm trying to think of where he was from exactly but anyway it was Didicus 
who was able with the papacy at that time to form uh, the blessed name of Jesus and God together. So that's where we got the name technically that we are now, even though we don't use God, because somewhere along the line when we speak of Jesus, he is God. So we are now the blessed, uh, the holy name society of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, my journey with that has been that uh, somehow I ended up did I tell you, or were you not on? We weren't recording. We weren't recording. Okay. Um, I went to a meeting after we decided uh, we would be uh, uh, back at a Holy Name Society rather than uh, just a men's club at our parish. There's a man to this day who still does that. Uh, his name is Don Johnson, and he goes around to different parishes and tries to get them more involved with the Holy Name Society, and that's how my parish got back to it. And uh, I was invited to a meeting shortly after that to attend with him at uh, Divine Savior Parish. At the time was where the meeting was. And uh, there was a room full of about 60 guys there, and the president at the time, oh my goodness, John, what is his first name? I'm trying to think of his last name. But anyway, President John at the time uh, asked everybody to just pray that we could find somebody to fill the role of recording secretary for the Chicago Association of Holy Name Societies. And I, with everybody else, was just praying, you know, for this intention that he wanted. But uh, I opened my eyes and found myself standing. And uh, Everybody congratulated me as the new recording secretary, <laughs> consequently. Um, so I served in that role for a while. Um, we had an individual who was elected uh, president. Uh, and uh, John Ortiz, I just remembered his name, John Ortiz. He's, he's now in Arlington Heights. Uh, I don't know if it's St. Viard or another parish out that way. But... Um, he is the one who was instrumental in getting me more active in the Holy Name Society. And uh, after his presidency, we had someone else elected who, for certain personal reasons, could not continue in the role. And we were without a president. And the other officers at that time, the uh, marshal, all the officers said, Stan, you got to run. You got to take over the job. I said, you guys, okay. So finally I did. I was installed as the president of the Holy Name Society. It was kind of an off year, so I ended up doing an extended term rather than just a natural two-year term. I ended up doing five, I believe. After that, I served as a regional vice president, uh, serving Chicago, Illinois, Wisconsin, and uh, Indiana. This is our listening area. Yeah, 17 bishops in that area. There you go. I'm glad I didn't know, I didn't know I, how many. I don't remember them all, but I got them all written down. <laughs> uh, I know their emails. After serving as a regional vice president, it was decided that I, among one of the many vice presidents, kept complaining, you know, we're out in the field all the time doing this, that, and the other for your organization, and we really have no voice in where this organization is going or what it's doing. So they established a new office, and that became the vice president representative to the national board. 
and I found myself in that role because I brought it up. They stuck me. Well, they didn't stick it with me. <laughs> I gladly took it. I served in that role for, I believe it was four years. Might have been six. But anyway, after that, I moved up to the second vice president position in the national organization. And I was going to, this past year, move up to the first president. But instead, COVID took our first president, president-to-be, and uh, that position actually was vacant, and naturally I would have been the next in place to take it. And they all came to me and said, Stan, do you mind, you know, stepping up to the presidency? And I said, you know, he's called me for so many things, of course. Here I am today. And what, what's involved in that role? Ah, well, we have a national board. Mm-hmm. And we operate throughout the nation through the direction of the National Board primarily. And my job with the National Board is basically to give all of the other members of that board direction and their own responsibilities. Since my inauguration or taking the, uh, the oath of president uh, in November at the National Convention in New Orleans, uh, I've challenged us all with my number one task to be to work, uh, again, on the sanctity of our Lord's name. For a long time now, it's been bothering me as to, and I'm not alone in this. You know, we've received letters from people saying, you're a national organization for the Holy Name. So what are you doing to protect his name? Right. Well, I've decided that I would make this my goal during my, my tenure as president. My goal is to do something about what's happened to not only our Lord's name, but the irreverence of how our God and Savior is treated. Give examples. Go to a movie today. I'm not going to repeat what they say, but it's JC this or GD this. All in irreverence. You know, if they were to say, Jesus Christ, please help me out of the situation, which is really what they're doing when they say his name in that, in that way, but it's not in a reverent manner. It's not giving it the respect it deserves. And the same thing in the press. TV, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to get to the immorality of what goes on in those things, too, but that's part of it. If, if we get to people to understand what a movie should be about, how it should reverence not only our God but our faith, we have the ability by bringing all Christians, and I don't mean just Catholics, there are a lot more faiths that recognize who Jesus was and what he did for us and and for them personally. Um, Anybody who reads the Bible should know about our Lord, who he did. Um, I look at the Bible, some people laugh at me, but I call it when I talk to others, I said, this is a roadmap to redemption. Read it. What's in here is a, a do's and don'ts of what you need to get to heaven. And um, among first is following the commandments that have to do with our God and taking his name irreverently. I, I, I don't do that. No one should be doing that who tries to honor our Lord. Not always able to do it because we're all sinners. Sometimes we lapse. The devil is everywhere. I mean, that's the challenge for us. 
if uh, I myself find myself in temptation, I just say the softest, the shortest prayer I know, Jesus. And I had, please help me to beat a temptation, to make it leave. And, and the devil knows what's going to happen when you call on our Lord's name. He fears that more than anything. Um, I, 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 one of my favorite pictures in my mind is when our Lord died on the cross. The devil was most happy because finally he got rid of this guy. Not really realizing what was happening when he died and what was going on in those three days between the time he died and the time he, he, he was wrote, risen from the grave. But it says he descended into hell. What do you think he did? Oh. <laughs> yeah, Rambo? I, you know, I, yeah, I, I would like to say I'd like to have been there to see it. You have to fly <laughs> on the wall. And, and here he is going oh. to hell and looking at Satan saying, Hey, my turn. And all those souls who have been waiting for saving, all those souls who were captives to the devil since, since Adam and Eve, because they were lost. They were in sin. No one was redeemed until Jesus came, until Jesus did it on the cross. And when he descended into hell and Satan saw all those souls leaving because of what he had done on the cross. I would, I picture that always, how angry the devil was, could have been, angrier than he's ever been, but that gave him a new anger, and that's to take the souls that are here now. So we have to fight them everywhere, every time. And again, when you're in temptation or tempted by what you shouldn't be doing, that's short prayer. Jesus, help me. You know what I found? There was a woman that we interviewed. Her name is Maureen Capstron, and she's on every month now. And she said, whenever you feel rattled or upset, um, she said, just go quietly and sit somewhere or go some little place and just call on the name of Jesus, 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 call three times, and he'll always come. And I have found that little, that little piece, Jan, that little piece of advice, he, he, he does. He mm-hmm. always comes. He comes in ways that you might not recognize him. But he's, it's like, that's it. That's how easy it is to get that divine power flowing through your work and what you have to cope with. That's how to really pray, to be, to be alone, get rid of distractions. But in the instance that I was speaking of, you know, that's immediate. Yes, that's a miracle. That's unbelievable what happened to you. But God saw how he was going to use you if you were willing. You know, and you're still right there at it. I mean, that was so many years ago, and he kept putting these challenges in front of you, and you've, you haven't said no. You always, you know, it's almost like you could see the Holy Spirit lifting you higher. It's interesting that you use that word challenge. I don't look at anything anymore as a challenge. How do you look at it? It's an opportunity. Good for you. Opportunity to make change, opportunity to do better. Nobody should be given up, especially when it comes to their own salvation. That's up to us. We are the only ones who can do it because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's up to us to finish the task, to finish the race. 
And the only way we're going to do that is become one with him. We have to recognize that he died for us. That's well, why he came. People talk about the best thing you could do for a friend is to give your life for another. Well, he did it. Wake up, people. He did that for you. And the other thing I, I, I realize and I try to tell everybody this. You know, when, when you're reading or you hear scripture from the altar, from the priest, and he's talking about what Jesus said, he didn't say that for the people of that time. He said it for you. That word, that what he said is meant directly for you. He's talking to you when he tells even the father says this is my son listen to him this is my beloved son who i'm well pleased so we got it from the father and from jesus himself what we should be doing just do it nike is paying you know just do it was was nike well i don't want to steal it but i'll borrow it <laughs> just do it people Get Jesus into your heart. You know that's, what? Good. And that's what the Holy Name Society is about. I was just going to say that with the Holy Name Societies is that um, it's so hard to find holy people. Like sometimes, you know, if you're, depending on what world you're living in, you know, if you're out there and you're working in the secular world day in and day out, I think it's so important to have holy friends that will you can talk to that can motivate you that can make you take two steps back so at your parish base is that how it works actually for me now it's, it's people in the society yes. whether they're in my own parish in my own group or nationally or in chicago there are 14 active major unions in the country made up of parish chicago's one union Boston, New York, Baltimore, L.A., San Francisco. There are groups of parishes that are doing what we are doing here in Chicago, the Holy Name Society. If someone's listening and they were interested in hearing more and they wanted to sign up for this, what, how would that work? Do they have meetings? Do they have prayer groups? Do they have talks? Presently this week, when I leave here tonight, I am going to Immaculate Conception Parish on Talcott in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we are beginning preparation for the annual spiritual assembly to be held there in June. I, I'll find out the date tonight in June. But what we're doing is we're stuffing envelopes with announcements, mailing out approximately 900 announcements to parishioners of Immaculate Conception as well as other parishes throughout Chicago to attend our annual spiritual assembly. It's going to be the 44th annual Beautiful. And what goes on at a spiritual assembly? Spiritual assembly starts with a procession of banners from each parish. And a banner is some depiction of Christ, IHS. Some people add uh, not only our Lord, but a saint on the other side of the banner, depending on their parish. We parade throughout our neighborhood. And then we go into Mass. The banners are displayed on both sides of the church. It is a mass in attendance, not only by all the members who are there, but the parishioners of that parish. After the uh, procession and mass itself, there is a, uh, a dinner. Uh, it's an award banquet, as well as the culmination of the annual raffle. Because the Holy Name Society here in Chicago, the only revenue from that 
for that society is the raffle and uh, the dues of each parish. Uh, the parish dues are $50 for each parish. Uh, that's the only expense involved with the Holy Name Society. If you want to give more, go ahead. It'll, it'll go to good use. I went to one of those. Did I think, you? yeah, because Father Jim Nicky started yes. a Holy Name Society at St. Raphael, the Archangel. The, he was our man of the year. Yes, it was so impressive. I was so taken in by the, it was a beautiful, beautiful event. Yeah, yeah I'm glad you had a chance to see one. And there's a Holy Name Society that I'm aware of in Wisconsin at Holy Rosary Parish. Exactly. And that group is the most phenomenal group. They do a sports night once a year. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the Holy Name Society does everything. Yes, Holy Name Societies. Uh, what teamwork are, they have. What a great camaraderie. And I mean, like you were saying before we went on the show, you were talking about how men in the parish, when it first got started, they pretty much did everything. Yeah, they did everything. Uh, ushers. Uh, before they had a school, perhaps they were the altar servers. There's no altar service in many parishes because schools have closed. Yes. They tend to the grounds. They help the pastor build things that need to be built. When something's broken, they fix it because we were tradesmen. Right. I, I myself have picked up a little bit of that and everything. And, and there are members of the Holy Name Society who actually help those in the parish who were unable to help themselves. I've, I've reset toilets, I've changed light bulb, I've fixed windows, shoveled snow for people who can't do it. But they're active helping other members of the parish, not only doing their own thing, but here's the thing. You mentioned working with others. Okay, let's take, for example, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Why do they meet? Because there's strength in numbers. You can do so much more the saying or the, the charter for the postmasters is let's, let's do together what we can't do alone. Excellent. And that, again, brings the idea of bringing people together. How is it easier to get to God, alone or with others who help you? Well, it's, and also it's our sacred duty, right? Yeah. It's our sacred duty not to go to heaven alone, right? You're supposed to bring <laughs> as many people as you well, can. That's the mission. You're responsible. You're your brother's keeper. That's the mission of the Holy Name Society to help everyone begin or grow their personal relationship with Jesus through prayer, reverence, and devotion to his holy name, to Jesus, and the Holy Eucharist. Say that again, Stan. That is so beautiful. To help everyone begin or grow their personal relationship with Jesus through prayer, reverence, and devotion to Jesus, his holy name, and the Eucharist. Do you know what the UCCB is doing now? It's about to break out. Their big plan is getting back to this realization that in the Eucharist, we really have the body and blood of our Lord. The USCCB is initiating this program uh, June 19th, I believe, of this year with a culmination in 22 in Indianapolis where all of this is supposed to have taken place. Now, I believe that what the Holy Name Society is doing is something we should have been doing all along. It's not that we've been misguided. We just haven't been shown the right way to do it. 
People are too busy. The devil is busy. The devil has given us all these distractions. We have TV, we have radio, we have nasty magazines, we have sports. Well, cell phones, text messages, the emails, other, yeah. yeah. To, to keep us distracted from the important things in life. And that's what we're fighting against. We have to take the time every day to spend some of it with him. Not just morning prayers and nighttime prayers. Tell me your typical day. My typical day? Spiritually. My wife says, get out of bed. I say, I'm, all right, I'm all praying. Right. I got bad knees. I'm praying in bed. <laughs> I'm praying I can get out of bed. <laughs> At my age, sometimes the, the, the knees don't want to. It starts with a prayer in bed. First of all, thanking him for another day. And in that day, I have to commit to him. Not myself, but to the things he needs done by me. And part of it is getting to others. You know the, the definition of a Christian? Christian is anybody who brings Christ to them or them to Christ. That's it. That's what a Christian is. If you don't do that, you're not really a practicing Christian, are you? So you wake up in the morning, and you thank him, and you ask him what it is he wants you to do. Then what happens? Oh, he'll show me. I'll get phone calls from all over the country. We have a system where we people respond to um, the Internet and things we put out on a national basis. And I get to talk to people or refer people to other members of the, the organization practically every day. I could open up my, my mail right now on my phone and say, listen, there's a new disciple in Des Moines, Iowa. There's a new disciple. You call disciples. Yeah. They're not really members yet. Okay? Yes. To be a member um, requires a parish with a charter, a ceremony for induction into the Holy Name say, and that's before a consecrated altar. Here in Chicago, all the altars of every parish that existed in 1959 has a consecrated altar. Yes. It's just that they've gone, the societies therein have gone dormant for one reason or another. Now it's time to wake up. It's time to get wake up. It's time to get back. And the only way to do this is hopefully we have priests listening who will realize that the Holy Name Society is ha like having an assistant in the parish because many priests are alone. They find themselves alone in some question their loneliness. Where is the help from our Lord? We're here to help them. We're here not only to do the things that they need done around the church, but we're here to help spiritually bring others to our Lord. That's what their task is. Ours is too, but we're not wearing the collar. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think if you bring them spiritually to our Lord, those other things that really the Lord wants done will get done. The zeal and the feeling of the early apostles setting it on fire. Or you could do the minor fire and brimstone. <laughs> What's that? Where do you want to go when it's all over? Right. Well, I met an atheist one time who says, you know, I don't believe all that stuff, but I follow the commandments. I said, you want to say them for me? <laughs> what's that, what's that, the start of all those about God? How can you be an atheist if you follow the commandments? I mentioned earlier about what I want to accomplish, and that's to 
promote the sanctity of our Lord's name. I have a prayer that uh, I'd just like to mention. Maybe people will find this interesting. Jesus, help me to foster honor and reverence to your most holy name. Grant me the courage to publicly witness my faith and hope in you. Inspire me to help to atone for those who thoughtlessly or blasphemously use your holy name in vain. Accept the bow of my head at the sound of your name as my silent prayer. That's what you can say to help you and others. So how would a priest or anyone find out more information about the Holy Name Society, Stan? Uh, Jim Coziel is currently the president of the Chicago Association. His number is 773-575-0207. Jim Coziel. Wonderful. Stan, you've been wonderful, a great guest, and or we'll have you back. Or they can call me. I'll give you my number. Okay. 847-894-3101. Well, that's all the time we have today, Stan, but I'm sure you'll be back. You've been a wonderful guest. You've been listening to Stan Barron, who is the president of the Holy Name Societies. Angela, thank you. This has been WSFI Spotlight. For more information on this or any other program, email info at wsfiradio.org.